Open Field Radio. Like, subscribe, share, and review wherever podcasts are found. If I had to describe this, I'd say it's cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Because ag and life live side by side and sometimes overlap. I'm your host, Mark Flint, and this is Open Field Radio. Brought to you by Gowan Company. Doug Greenway, Mitchell, South Dakota. The world's only corn palace. History, entertainment, spectacle, and corn. We talk it all right now. South Dakota and corn. That's synonymous. Well, yeah, absolutely. We, you know, people always think of Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, you know, for corn. Obviously, the Huskers in Nebraska, but up here in the prairie. But eastern South Dakota, we raise an awful lot of corn uh, up here. And, of course, we're still very much ranch and prairie uh, west of the uh, Missouri River, but um, an awful lot of corn raised here, and, and it's mostly dry land. We don't have a lot of irrigation uh, up in our area. I'm, in, I'm located in Mitchell, which is southeastern part of South Dakota, but we're pretty much in the middle, honestly, of 75% of the population of South Dakota. Wow. So, you know, we've got Rapid City way out west and Spearfish, but all the bigger cities are near us, all within uh, within 90 minutes to, to, to two hours of Mitchell. So all the all the big class double A cities are are near Mitchell. So, uh, and this eastern South Dakota is where we grow uh, grow a lot of corn, and we have li- a lot of livestock, uh, dairy, uh, beef, um, lots of hogs in our area, a lot of variety, soybeans, corn, of course, lots of alfalfa, oats, barley, wheat. Pretty uh, general um, ag production area. I looked at the map. I believe what you're west of Sioux Falls, correct? We're just we're just one hour, about 55 miles west of Sioux Falls, right on I-90. Um, great corridor for for commerce along Interstate 90 and and tourism too, obviously, which is why the Corn Palace uh, does well here. Um, and of course, way back, you know, we're at 100 and almost 30 years of Corn Palace. Now um, there was no interstate highway; it was railroad. And uh, the reason our, our our Corn Palace stuck and others didn't is because of the railroad and. People were able to come here easily and see it. Well, you brought it up, the Corn Palace. What a phenomenon. Now, I looked this up because someone said, hey, have you talked to anybody from the Corn Palace? And I said, wait a minute, what? So I looked it up. It's touted as the world's only Corn Palace. And I was like, well, of course. What a phenomenon. Take me through it. Sure. And, and you know, we, we while we're the world's only that we know of, we were certainly not the first. And, uh... And okay. uh, you can edit this, but if you haven't gone to our corn cam, uh, you know, you might want to do it while we're, if you've got access to your internet there. Um, I uh, do. We have a corn cam. Uh, if you go to cornpalace.com and just scroll down a little bit, you'll see corn cam, and you'll actually see a live video from the front of the corn palace. And I'll point out a little interesting story later about uh, the damage we have uh, on the front due to a, a rogue squirrel. But uh, I'm this, I'm at the know, cam right now. I'm looking at the go. cam right now. Yeah, so you're looking right at the front of it. Across the street is our convention visitors bureau. I'm just inside the doors uh, on the right there um, of the corn palace. So, um, <laughs> but these, these were these were uh, uh, grain exposition. So you know, back in the late 1800s, um, the area was developing. People were raising crops, growing corn, and they wanted to to do something to draw people here and. Sioux City, Iowa, actually had a grain palace that was phenomenal. Um, uh, and our first corn palace was, was built in 1892. But in the late 1880s, Sioux City had a, a corn 
a grain palace, they called it, not a corn palace, a grain palace. And it was phenomenal, but it never stuck. They couldn't get the visitors there, and it was it didn't last. It was torn down. Uh, Plankington, South Dakota, just west of us, really two depots on the railroad tracks west of, of Mitchell, had a grain palace before we did. And again, it just didn't... It didn't stick, and um, so the city leaders um, in, in, in the 1890, city leaders said, you know what, we should have our own grain palace and have a grain exposition, and the, the whole intent was to bring uh, uh, farmers, agricultural folks together to celebrate the harvest in the fall. So they built the um, what we now call the world's only corn palace in 1892 here in Mitchell, and it was thanks to city leaders at the time. As you know, it was it was a two hundred fifty thousand dollar project. I mean, can you imagine in eighteen ninety two, two hundred fifty thousand dollars? I haven't done the math, but that's multi millions. Okay, let me do the math for you. Last thing you want me to do is math, but here's what I know: two hundred fifty thousand dollars in eighteen ninety two comes out to seven point three million dollars today. That's a lot of money on a corn palace. Now, if you're still scratching your head over this, and I understand, I truly understand, it is exactly that, a corn palace, a building, that's right, covered in corn. I laugh because it's that cool. This is Americana. Any way you slice it, this is it. Doug will tell us all about it. They went out and generated support and built the building, and it was a huge success. And people came uh, from from literally hours away via train to watch entertainment, orchestra shows, traveling circus shows, everything you can imagine to the Corn Palace. And it brought all these people to town, and it was a huge success. And they soon realized it really, you know, this um, was kind of a temporary structure. The other grain palaces had been temporary. They built them uh, during the summer from the previous year's crops, and then they celebrated in the fall, and then it was destroyed or taken down. And they used the space. Think of it like a state fair. They set up. Oh, I see. Have an yeah. event, and then they took it down. So this one stayed, and then they soon realized it was deteriorating and it wasn't big enough. So they actually built a second corn palace in 1905. Actually, and it, and it moved it because they they during the construction season they didn't want to abandon the one they had. So they moved it a block north, and built the second generation corn palace in 1905, and. Uh, it continued to grow, have shows, and it it, uh, it it actually got too small. They couldn't hold the events they wanted to host. Wow! Um, in that in that building as well. So again, city leaders said this is this is our ticket to bring people to town. And it's always been about celebrating the harvest and bringing people to Mitchell at the end of the season to to celebrate. And so uh, in 1905, they built that second one. They actually started planning for the third generation corn palace then in about 1917-18. And in 1919, this uh, that, that second corn palace was actually burned to the ground. It, it actually had become infested with, with rodents, believe it or not. And figure. <laughs> when they realized they knew they were going to build new, how do we get rid of this corn palace? And, and there were estimates between 50,000 and 500,000 rats in that second generation wow. building. Wow. And they, they couldn't just say, we can't just tear it down. These, these rodents are going to go all over the city. And this time now, about 3,000 people lived here. 
and we're when we're uh, just between the fifteen and sixteen thousand now. So they opted to fence the corn palace and burn it to the ground. They're in trapping and disposing of the rodents at the same time. That'll teach them. Yeah, so then they moved, um, and we have a, a historical marker there, which is, is now between um, 5th and 6th Street on our main street, and they built our third corn palace and moved in in 1921. means this year our current building, our world's only corn palace, is 100 years old. Wow, look at that. Congratulations. Thank you. From the tourism side of things, we um, we still talk about the Corn Palace being started in 1892. And of course, what I just went through with you, any visitor that comes into our building um, reads about that and the history of the Corn Palace and the fact that we're in our third one. And uh, we are, uh, we're waiting for the wind to go down. I, as I watched our video too, we, we have some flags to replace and get ready for tourism. And uh, But obviously, uh, getting back to corn, what people... What brings people to the Corn Palace is our murals and the, the design of our murals. And you can see a couple of them on our on our corn cam there. And yes. um, those, those nine murals, there are, you see two of them. We have seven more on the, on, the, on the south side of the building. And those get replaced every year. In addition, we have, we have um, well, really, depending on how small you want to count them, about 15 murals inside as well. And those... Those are permanent murals. They don't get replaced uh, annually, but those uh, are unique because they're Oscar Howe designs. Oscar Howe was a, uh, a Native American artist, uh, designed murals for the Corn Palace for 22 years. It started in 1947, and um, so a lot of Native American influence. And what's really neat about them is it's all agrarian. I, you know, the Native uh, in South Dakota, we have multiple tribes still here, and, um, you know, they, they raise raise corn so here you go the things you learn on open field radio oscar howe was a native american artist of the dakota people born in joe creek south dakota in 1915 after serving in world war ii he went to college on the gi bill earned a ba degree from the dakota wesleyan university in 1952 and later received a master in fine arts from the university of oklahoma in 1954 over his 41-year career howe won numerous awards including grand and first prizes his works were displayed all over the world including paris london and over 50 solo shows nice job uh, his murals depict uh, native americans from south dakota meeting um, settlers uh, coming to south dakota and both, and, and we have unique because the, the coloring in the murals tell us that we've got uh, Eastern European settlers, we've got uh, Asian settlers, all working with Native Americans to help grow corn and welcome them to South Dakota and uh, kind of a show of unity. And so this certainly in this time that we're in these days, uh, it showed that we can all get along regardless of, of the race and where we come from. And so that's, that's impressive. And those murals stay in um, inside, uh, around the perimeter of the of the gym area, if you will, or the auditorium. You're listening to Open Field Radio. Affiance fungicide from Gowan, USA. You got corn? Affiance fungicide is built for you and your corn because it's easy. No messing around. Use rate: ten fluid ounces per acre. That's easy. Flexible application timing from corn growth stage V4 through R3. Application methods, take your choice. Aerial, ground rig, chemigation. I told you, it's easy. And Affiance fungicide, rain fast two hours after application. Again, easy. 90% success rate. You got corn? Get Affiance fungicide. Always read and follow label directions. 
from Gowan Company. I want to hear from you. Yep, and not just an email. Though emails are cool, and of course this will involve an email too, but it'll be a cool email. Because here's what I need you to do. Grab your phone, find the voice app. You know the little memo app in your phone that nobody uses for much of anything? We're going to use it. I want you to give me your name, where you're from, what you do, and that you listen to Open Field Radio. So it would go like this. I'm Mark, Yuma, Arizona, host of Open Field Radio, and I listen to Open Field Radio. Got it? Just Fill in the blanks with your information. Shoot it off to me in an email, info at openfieldradio.com. I just might use it on the air. And if I do, I'll send you something cool. How's that? Because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. Hi, my name is Nina Wilson, and I listen to Open Fields from the lowest capital of the world, Yuma, Arizona. I read something on your site that said that the Corn Palace was built as a way to prove to the world that South Dakota has a healthy agriculture climate. Obviously, you've explained that to me, and we all know that. But when it was built, was that in question? Well, I, I think so because we moved out here. It was just it was just prairie, you know. People were getting their their allotments of quarters, right? They were they could go to the land office and say, "I'm going to stake my claim to this quarter section." And right. families, you know, you 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 all know about the migration to the, to the west, and South Dakota was part of that. Again, the railroad and and wagon trains brought folks out here, and it was it was that time it was all prairie, but they needed to survive, they needed to eat, and of course. Growing uh, produce, including corn, was a big part of that, and and corn did well here. Very arid soil here, um, so uh, you know if it if it rains enough, we can grow wonderful, wonderful corn. If it's if it's in a drought, then we struggle a little bit. But um, I think the intent was, hey, for us to grow as a city, we need to bring people here, and it's we can grow crops here, we can make a living here, um, and and we still honestly are continuing to do that today. Um, you know, ag, you know, you're an expert more than, than I on that. It's, it's changed a lot, but people still need to eat. We still need to grow crops and raise, raise livestock. And, and so we still celebrate ag at the Corn Palace with our, our festival every year. It's, it's changed a bit from September, October to a little bit earlier. And, you know, I'm new to this job. I'm a director only since November of 2019, but I come from an agricultural background and know that yeah, try to have concerts and events in the middle of harvest season. You aren't going to get a lot of farmers. They, yeah, going to be they, tough, huh? Yes, you know they put in eighteen-hour days in the field getting the crop out. That's that's when they make their living in the fall. So our festival is actually the third week of August every year. So this year it runs the twenty-fifth to the twenty-ninth of August, mm-hmm. and hope to to get. Uh, it's it's kind of the fair season, you know, if you will. Uh, our state fair is the is the week following, so which also celebrates agriculture. Um, and we get lots of locals, and, of course, from our region. The harvest, they might be harvesting soybeans early, chopping some silage for feed, but typically they're not harvesting corn yet um, out of the fields in, in the third week of August. So we beat, we beat that harvest rush, and they still come to town and, and take a night off. Of course, times have changed. You don't have to get on a train in the morning in order to make a show <laughs> that night. That's true. You can, well, it might you be fun, though. At, shut down at five o'clock and, and, uh, you know, drive a couple hours and see a show and have a dinner and go on some rides and eat some carnival food all in the same evening. And, and if you want to go home and work in the field, you still could. So is the festival, it's like a state fair, like a county fair, that kind of spirit, correct? That kind of spirit. Yes. We have a, a midway sets up for, um, about, uh, six blocks on our main street, right in front of the corn palace. We have barbecue row. Um, we have concerts inside the corn palace. Last year we did outdoor shows because of the COVID uh, impact, but we, we plan to be back inside this year and, and, um, and 
and my goal, again, I mentioned I was, I was newer here, but is getting back to the history of the Corn Palace for the festival uh, and celebrate agriculture. So those are things with, you know, sweet corn eating contests and, and doing a fair where people bring their produce in and we, we judge it and give out prizes and celebrate celebrate the harvest. Because um, we've gone away from that just a little bit over the years. And and uh, part of my goal uh, coming here was to bring that back. And, and of course, with COVID last year, my, that was my first festival. And we were a little limited. We couldn't do a lot of kids' activities and, and things about that. So getting some of our ag and production groups in, uh, commodity groups in to help us promote, you know, corn growers, soybean growers, you know, Cattlemen's Association, pork producers, you know, getting those groups involved to celebrate ag during the festival, uh, we're working that, that direction. Is corn the largest crop grown there? I, I just read a report on this. Um, we could actually exceed with soybeans this year just on, you know, current market price. And, um, so we're pretty much uh, split between corn and soybeans as the largest crops. So obviously what you need to make a corn palace happen is a whole lot of corn. So where does it come from? Well, Doug will tell us that in just a second. But also all the colors. you got to have all kinds of crazy colors of corn to make the corn palace, well, look like a palace, I guess. But the colors, ready for this? Red, brown, black, blue, white, orange, calico, yellow, and now green corn. It's all happening at the Corn Palace. Listen to Doug. We have local growers. Um, there's really been um, three growers um, that, in, in my in recent history, that have grown corn for the Corn Palace. It's, it's always been grown within 20 miles of Mitchell. Um, and and uh, Dean Strand is the one I'm most familiar with, who, who was a, a grower for, for uh, over 20 years. And he developed some of the colors that we use. So we have 12 colors we use on the Corn Palace. Um, and believe it or not, we have green corn, we have black corn, obviously wow. traditional yellow corn. We have um, a calico corn, which is a genetic um, cross that Dean Strand developed. Um, so uh, we keep that seed separate. And, of course, uh, anyone that grows crops know you can't, uh, if you want um, cross-hybrid <laughs> or if you want to keep that color, just like with livestock, you need to keep uh, the genetics uh, separate. So in order to keep green corn green, you can't cross it with a red or a yellow corn, or you're going to get something in between. So um, these fields of corn, it takes 70 acres uh, to grow the 12 different colors of corn. So not a lot of acres of each, but the trick is keeping the colors separated in fields. So now he's planting, and, and our current grower's name is Brett Lowry. He's approximately eight miles west of Mitchell. He's only a few miles south of where I grew up uh, on the farm. And so he's a local person, uh, farms for a living, uh, but then also contracts our corn palace uh, corn as a grower. And so he has to keep these fields separate so they don't cross-pollinate and get our colors mixed up. So we might get a, end up with a pink when we're starting a, uh, our red corn with our brown corn and our green corn, for example. We, we can end up with some different shades. And, and some of those are intentional and some are not. So... Um, yeah, 12 colors of corn are used. Um, uh, over 300,000 ears of corn um, used every year to decorate the corn palace. And it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I think that, uh, people would be interested to know that we, uh, I mentioned we replace the murals, murals every year. Um, and that always has been done in the fall when the corn is harvested. Just think of yourself picking corn when it's, when it's um, uh, about 20% moisture. We, we don't want it too dry or too wet. It's too wet, it molds, and we'll, uh, we cut the ears in half to, to mount them on the, on the building. 
cloth is too wet, then the ears will curl up uh, before we get them nailed to the, the building. If it's too dry, we have to cut the ends off of each ear so they're, they're square and the little nubs where you might have sparse kernels. We cut those off and then run every ear through a what essentially is a, it's a table saw and cut them in half. And if the corn's too dry, so dry being it's under 13% moisture or so, that corn just shatters and flies everywhere, as you can imagine, going through the saw. So um, all these, these uh, ears are picked with a picker by, uh, by Brett Lowry, and they go in the bins. He delivers them to us. And then um, our decorators will, it really becomes a paint-by-number process um, once the corn is, is split and, and halved, and they nail it on. You know, I, I mentioned Oscar Howe, who was a designer. Well, over the years, we'd have different designs because how you – designers, you, you have to have a artist come up with um, these, these, uh, these pictures, right? Well, what, right. What, how it works now is, is I have a board uh, of directors, and they come up with a theme for the murals uh, every fall. We start about September, October. And uh, they, they toss around some theme ideas, things that are unique to the time. Once we get the theme decided, we now work with our uh, local university. Dakota Wesley University is a, is a liberal arts Methodist space school here in Mitchell of about 1,000 students. They take their graphic design class, and we give them the theme and ask them to come up with mural ideas. The college then will take those and they enlarge them to the dimensions of the mural uh, it's going to go on to, and they use house wrap paper, and then they trace the design on the house wrap, and then that's delivered to our decorators here, and um, beginning, uh, beginning about June, when we hire our summer staff, we will, we will um, tear off the corn mural, we'll put up the new uh, design paper, and then we, we, during the summer, we work with accent uh, colors. So uh, there's, there's other grains on the corn palace besides just corn. Um, and then, because normally we wouldn't get the corn until harvest. And then at that time, then the corn is getting placed on the murals uh, like a paint by number. The artist would sure. say red corn here, green corn here, black corn here, um, and so on to make the new murals. Open Field Radio. Like, share, subscribe. This is Marshall Tremble, Scottsdale, Arizona. You must be the Marshall. Arizona's official state historian. Season 1, Episode 5, and you're listening to Open Field Radio. I'm looking at old pictures of, of the different corn palaces through history, and it's, it's striking. First things first, I see the murals through history. I see it looks like there's corn all over this building, not just the murals, correct? Right, right. Uh, corn straw, um, you see Milo, uh, something called sourdough. Um, back in the day, they used uh, hay, uh, millet. Um, we're, we're experimenting with different grains. But yes, the grain, those, those older ones are, and part of it was, um, I mean, just over the years, labor to, to build these things, right? It used to be volunteers, and, you know, they built on it year, year, year round. And, well, Economics have shown us that we we actually we reduced our murals from 13 uh, outside to nine in 2014 because they were becoming you know very labor intensive and they still are. I'm sure, I'm sure. So they actually enlarged the murals, which allowed us to do basically a bigger canvas. But um, uh, some of that you know has to do with safety concerns. 
some of those early murals from um, like the, the 1905 to, to 1917 Corn Palace, it actually had grains go all the way to the ground level. Well, as right. you know, that was a real fire hazard when 50 <laughs> percent of the population smoked. So it would start on fire. So now the bottom is all brick, and our, our grains have moved up a little bit. Now, over the years, these guys are professionals at the Corn Palace in dealing with a corn building and corn murals and probably their fair share of rodents. They think that the Corn Palace is Disneyland for them. But I got an email after this interview with Doug. Doug sent me an email with a photo that I will include at openfieldradio.com. And the photo is of one of the murals. And Doug says, in the mural below, of course, in the picture here in the email, he said, you'll see the damage where a squirrel moved into one of our turrets for the winter and proceeded to eat all the kernels from the upper left corner. Mm-hmm. He said he did extensive damage before we finally had to, quote unquote, deal with him. I understand rodents don't like, quote, deals. It doesn't work out very well. You know, I mentioned Milo, which used to be a very common crop in our area and a cash crop. But and they used it on the corn palace. It was a beautiful red. Well, the, the mice would just thrive on Milo, no matter whether you had an exterminator or not. You couldn't keep the mice out of the Milo. So a number of years ago, they discovered a sour dock. So again, when you look at the, the, the video, for example, the live feed, you'll notice this dark brown. Um, and we have these turrets on the front of the corn palace. And you have to look close, but you'll see the stalk of the corn and then the actual ear of corn at the top of it coming out. And it's, it's uh, kind of very finely detailed. Well, that sure. brown is all sour dock. That's actually not corn. Sour oh. dock is, some farmers would call it dock. But it's a uh, slewweed, if you will. The, uh, the male uh, sour dock plant puts on a seed about two feet tall of seed. Uh, think of a, a damp farmyard or a sloughy area, a wetland. That's where sour dock grows. And uh, it produces these seeded heads on the male plants. So we go out and pick that when it's bright green in June. And then when it dries, it turns this burnt orange or brown that you see. Oh, wow. And the mice won't eat it. Well, now we know. Because <laughs> we don't have to pay for the dock. <laughs> it's free. Farmers like it to come out of their, their, their fields. And um, the mice won't eat it. So, but yeah, so over the years, uh, the, the intricacy has changed, the types of grains that have changed. Well, talk to me about the design of the structure itself. When I look at it, it's striking. But it's also uh, strikingly resembles something you would see, at least in my mind, you'd think I would see this kind of structure by design and shape in Eastern Europe, maybe in in Russia, in something like this. Big, uh, there's like minarets on top, I think we might call them. Right, yep, yep. They call that a Moorish design with the, okay. with the domes, with the domes. And, and of course, if, if folks were to look at past pictures, the, 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 the domes were literally covered with grain, and then at some time they became concrete, and they, they were painted every year or two. Then they evolved into fiberglass. Uh, keep in mind, this building built in 1921 is a, is a wooden structure um, covered with, um, with uh, concrete and block and plaster, uh, you know, things they had to build in the day. Um, and concrete domes were just too heavy and the roof would begin to sag. So they replaced them with a fiberglass. Uh, that was in the, in the um, early 70s, uh, 1960s, 70s, when fiberglass became available. They made domes. Um, uh, one of them had started on fire uh, back in the <laughs> 70s. So they, 
electrical issue, so they, they had to re- re- repair it. Well, then, uh, in 2014, they basically wanted a, a modern-looking corn palace uh, dome. So at that time, the, the, the turrets and the domes became metal. So what you see today are actually uh, uh, golden-shaped onion domes. And um, as you can expect, some of the locals were not very happy with the change. Sure, um, I'm sure. Yeah. difficult <laughs> wherever yeah. you're at. And so we, we went from having five domes um, to three and then two, uh, two turrets or minarets uh, on top. But those are all metal now, and they're kind of a gold, uh, gold-painted metal, which um, we don't have to uh, um, paint every year. Um, again, it comes down to some of that labor involved and the cost involved with repainting and servicing some of these things are out in the elements. Uh, here in South Dakota, obviously, uh, snow and ice and rain, and they were high-maintenance, where these are basically you, you've turned the Corn Palace domes into a, a zero-maintenance um, type of... Well, you, t- you touched on two things that came to mind when I first started looking at the Corn Palace, and that is mice and fire. Those two things, I don't know how you've kept it alive 100 years, because that just seems like a no-brainer, mice and fire. So, you know, it's a, it's a big auditorium. They, they built this to have concerts and to bring people to town. So you needed a big space. So, you know, when you could get uh, up to 4,000 people in the Corn Palace. There used to be a balcony and there orchestras and some big-name performers at the time, you know, from the, from the teens and 20s. Uh, up to current, and we still have uh, you know big acts at the Corn Palace. If you check out cornpalace.com, you're going to find a list there of past entertainment, and it's a pretty impressive list because the list actually goes all the way back to the first Corn Palace in 1892. First show there in 1892, the Iowa State Band. High five to you guys. But this thing goes on and on and on. Lots of shows in the 20s, the 30s, and the 40s. 1952, Guy Lombardo. 1953, Duke Ellington. 1954, Lawrence Welk. Andy Griffith was there. Tennessee Ernie Ford. Eddie Arnold. Jack Benny. Oh, my goodness. These are all legends. Bob Hope. Holy cow. All the way up through Dwight Yoakam, Clint Black, Trace Atkins. They've all played there. It's a cool place. There's a large auditorium behind it. And if you go up in the roof of that auditorium, you will see burnt uh, plank that survived mm. uh, a couple fires in this building. So in its 100 years, it's had two fires in this building. Uh, I just told someone recently that uh, I don't want to be the director that lets the corn palace burn down. So we need to make sure our, <laughs> our fire extinguishers <laughs> and electricals are all up to code and, and we do things right because um, that's always a potential, you know, and, and this building has a lot of, flammable material on the outside and the inside. Now, the mice, the mice we don't have much of a mice problem um, uh, because of, of uh, extermination and things like that, and we keep on top of that because uh, obviously we, we, have a, we have a full concession and food served here you know, daily, so those are all things that are no-nos. But, um, you know, the Corn Palace, if you ask the locals, will know that we have, uh, in the evenings, the bats come out, and, of course, they find their way along the edges of the uh, of the murals outdoors, we have light bars. So if you were to look at this at night, there's there's light bars around uh, every mural to light them up, and the the bats like to nest in there. So at night they'll come out and of course do what bats do and catch uh, catch insects. But uh, our decorators, you know, working during the day will be hammering away and pulling off corn, and of course that's disturbing them. 
And oh, uh, yeah. you'll hear the squeaking and squawking as we're as they're working. Coast to coast and around the world. You're listening to Open Field Radio. Yukon Herbicide from Gowan USA is the best GT corn tank mix partner to enhance weed control, protect your yield potential, and maximize your profitability. Enhance burndown activity, valuable residual control, maximize yield protection, effectively kills weeds before they rob your yield. Unsurpassed flexibility, protect what's yours, and maximize potential with Yukon Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Company. I feel like the more shows we do, the more we get to know each other. You know what I mean? We're just regular people, right? I mow my yard, you mow your yard. Regular stuff. And when it comes to promoting open field radio, I need regular people to tell other regular people this show is happening. So tell somebody. Knock on somebody's door, call them up, send them a text, whatever, and tell them you're listening to open field radio. And by golly, they should be too. It'll be awesome, I promise. Because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Open Field Radio. And now back to Open Field Radio with our guest, Doug Greenway from the Corn Palace. I read that USA Today calls the Corn Palace one of the top 10 places in America for high school basketball. Yes. And, and, and of course, if you're not a local, you wouldn't know that. And it sounds like that comes to as a surprise to you. But this, this auditorium... Uh, from about mid-November to the 1st of March, um, uh, in fact, I just counted just for this broadcast, we had 150 ball games played in the Corn Palace this past season. Wow. And so it's a, it's a wonderful venue for basketball. Um, uh, we, we seat uh, 2,800 in here for basketball. So it's a larger arena, much more comfortable than like a, a high school gymnasium maybe. Um, plus it's in a little bigger town than a lot of our smaller schools uh, play in. So they like to come here. Um, we, we host our local high school boys and girls teams, which happen to be the Colonels. Um, uh, <laughs> of, the course. of course. So the Colonels play here, and, and their mascot, Cornelius, can be seen uh, roaming the lobby in the sideline. Uh, and then our local college, um, who, again, we partner with on decorations to go to Westland University. They're the Tigers. And they play all of their college games here as well. And then local local teams, you know, we draw in uh, basketball classics and tournaments. So we draw teams from 100 miles around. And, and they like to come play at the Corn Palace because of the history of basketball here. Um, and uh, it's a great venue to play in. And, of course, we can, we can draw large crowds. People come from far and wide, yes? They still do. They still do. Not just for basketball, but our, our shows. We just recently, our local newspaper did a story of a, of the first large event in this building was in 1922. Remember, it opened in 1921, and they did a an auto show here, and um, they had 4,000 people show up for the first night of this auto show, and people would get a kick out of the you know the kinds of vehicles that were on display. As I was, some of them I had not even heard about. Obviously, Oldsmobile was at the time, but a Maxwell uh, was came before the Chrysler. Um, Elgin and Overland were all cars made back in the 20s. Uh, the Hupmobile, which went out of business in the 20s, they were all on display at the 1922 uh, uh, car show that was held in the in the Corn Palace, which we still host events like that today in here. Uh, you ever had the circus in there? We, we have a circus um, inside the Corn Palace and have had one since 1959. Wow. Oddly enough, they actually did did have to cancel the circus during COVID, but uh, they will be back um, 
uh, with us, and uh, the Shriners do their do the circus here. This is America, Americana, American agriculture. It's so cool. Given the chance, Clark Griswold would load the kids into the family truckster and drive for hours just to see the Corn Palace. It's that cool, one of a kind, and sitting right there in the corner of South Dakota. Give me a favorite memory of the Corn Palace or a favorite story of the Corn Palace for you. Well, you know, I'm so I'm 55 years old, so I, you know, I'm of the generation that, growing up on a farm, you didn't go to the city, even though I literally lived eight miles away. A trip to Mitchell was a big deal back in the day, and so when I'm, you know, five to ten to, uh, years old before I'm driving, uh, for me to come to Mitchell and go to the Corn Palace Festival was a big, big deal. There was so much less going on in the, you know, for kids in the 60s and 70s. Um, so to come to the festival and go on a ride, have a corn dog, um, see clowns or see circus animals, coming to the Corn Palace was, was a really a big deal, um, you know, for us. You know, I think that's changed because, as, as you know, um, there's just so much more to do. People are so much more mobile. You know, you can, you can take a trip around the world now on your computer and see these sites. So it's, it's, it maybe doesn't um, hold as much grandeur for young kids, but um, we, we are drawing over 400,000 people a year to the Corn Palace, and I get a chance to talk to lots of them, and they're so impressed with the artistry of the murals yet and impressed. I, I just mentioned this to um, one of our um, employees the other day, that the locals probably don't appreciate the Corn Palace like they should. I didn't. You know, until I now I'm the director and and I get to come here every day. I get to see the murals. I get to see them in action. I get to see how it impacts people who come to visit and realize that this whole thing is covered with corn. The work that goes involved is it, involved to do that. The planning, the the artistry that goes in, uh, it is really an impressive um, structure. And you know, I'm I'm very happy to work here. And and it, again, we're all about celebrating the the harvest because it is it is corn. And um, it's what, you know, feeds the families and feeds the livestock. And, uh, uh, you know, for our area, at least, that's what that's our largest economy in the state of South Dakota is agriculture. And uh, um, so we celebrate it at the festival every year, and, and I'm happy to be part of it. If people are curious, how do they find you? Sure. Well, we already talked that we're, you know, we're right along Interstate 90, just an hour west of Sioux Falls, um, uh, cornpalace.com. Um, we're at uh, 604 North Main Street in you know, Mitchell's not a huge city, but we've got lots to offer, and, and you can't miss the Corn Palace. The signage along the interstate and the streets, we've got it well marked, and, and we invite uh, people of all ages to stop by. And um, we, have a, we have a fly-in farmer group coming in this summer that they literally fly planes and are farmers, and they make the Corn Palace a stop on their route. And uh, we actually go out and, and visit with our grower, and they get to see the corn fields, you know, the actual corn as it's growing. So we, we will always take time to give a private tour to folks, and uh, they can always call us as well. But, yeah, cornpalace.com, they find all the things that you found about the history and pictures and, and our live um, uh, corn cam. And, again, when it comes to people visiting, we're all ears here. <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you did there. South Dakota corn is feeding the nation and feeding the world, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, it, it, it fills the heart a little bit, too, when you come and see our, our design. So 
we, we obviously we're a tourist attraction and we, we, we appreciate people coming to Mitchell. We think uh, we have a lot to offer as does South Dakota and uh, we would welcome all folks to South Dakota and Mitchell to see the world's only corn palace. You've been listening to Open Field Radio from Gowan Company. Like, share, subscribe, review. Everywhere podcasts are found. The views and opinions expressed by the guests of Open Field Radio are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of the program. All rights reserved, no duplication or redistribution without permission.